this year I've added another. And it's the voice you're going to hear preached tonight. From Annapolis, Maryland, a mighty man, graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, superintendent of the Maryland, D.C. district, now bishop, over 31 or 32 congregations that make up one church, showing us the true apostolic structure of a New Testament church. I bring to you tonight my friend, our preacher tonight. Would you make welcome Bishop Chester Wright from Annapolis, Maryland? Preach to us. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Foster, for that more than kind introduction. It is a uh, privilege to be here. We've had a tremendous time in the Holy Ghost today. The Spirit of God has moved. The Lord's talked to us. There was a ringing call from a member of the younger generation. You know, there's a lot of benefits in getting old. You can dress any way you want to, and they say, well, he's just old. <laughs> it's really good, you know. It covers a lot of sins. Just getting old. But I've learned something over these last four, five, six years. The most beautiful thing about getting older is you're able to experience the true difference between the soul and the flesh. Literally experience it. Because I don't know the person you're looking at right now. Seriously, I don't know that person. That's not who I am to me. Without a mirror or a photograph, my image of myself is so very, very, very different. The body changes, but it's only the house where we live. That's all. The body's not able to keep up with the passion and the vision and the burden which have not changed. In fact, have only intensified with time. Which means the beautiful thing about getting older is you have to become more and more reliant upon the Spirit of God because you don't have the same ability to do things through your own strength that you had when you were younger. Praise God. 
I, I realize that this particular type message is probably not the norm either in subject matter or in presentation for the typical night service in a conference like this. And I would be nervous, except I'm too old to be nervous. When I was younger, it really mattered to me exactly how the service was going and what was being sung and where it was when it was turned to me. Nah, it don't matter. Just you do your thing and it's now my turn. <laughs> Praise God. I'm doing something in this meeting that I have. I don't ever remember doing it like this. I'm actually doing three parts of a message. I've never done this like this before. I've taught various parts of this message, but I've never done this exactly like this before. And um, I did part one today, um, and I'm doing part two tonight. Because so many of you were not here, for those of you that were here, if you will give me a few moments, it will be necessary for me to try to give just a few minutes for those that are here to catch up because the Lord certainly wants them to receive this. Praise God. And I'm not a note user. <clears throat> and this looks like notes to you, but it's not. It's just printed out scriptures so I don't have to turn, read, look them up. So hopefully I can save a little time. I don't have a problem with those use notes, but I don't. So I just wanted you to know what I've got here, and please don't despair if it looks like it's stacks. The folks at home don't ever worry when I bring a stack of notes to the pulpit because they know I never finish them anyway. So I'd like to read to you from two passages of Scripture. Uh, if it's your custom to stand, you're welcome to do so. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all which proves that the translators of the King James had to be from the South, right? First Corinthians 8 and verse 5. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father. But to us there is but one God, the Father. 
Is that who your one God is? You oneness people. Is your one God the Father? No offense, but I don't think so. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. And this is part two of this three-message series, and the title of this message is, Show Us the Father, and It'll Be Enough. If you don't know personally the Father, you have a tremendous lack in your life. If you do not pray to the Father, if you are not comfortable calling him Father, there is a tremendous lack in your life. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. I'm going to read a little bit. If you'll put it on the screen, I'm going to read from the screen. John 14, verse 1. If you'll permit me, we're just going to re- let you read along with me here, please. John 14, 1. Sorry. Okay, then I will read. John 14, 1. Now you will notice when I'm flipping in my Bible. There it is. Okay, praise God. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe ye in God. Believe also in me. For in my, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And whither I go ye know. And the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do we know why he is the way, the truth, and the life? Do we know what the purpose of him being the way, the truth, and the life is? He is the way to the Father. He is the truth about the Father. He is the manifestation of the life of the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Heaven is not our destination. The Father is our destination. We are not saved from our sins. We are saved to be a part of the Father. Are you a part of the Father? Next verse. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Listen to this. Strong says the word sufficeth means 
through the idea of raising a barrier properly to ward off by implication to avail figuratively be satisfactory. Thayer says it means to be possessed of unfailing strength, to be strong, to suffice, to be enough, to defend, to ward off, to be satisfied, to be contented. All of that is a result of knowing who the Father is. Do you know who the Father is? I'm not talking about here. Do you have a relationship with God the Father? Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. The next verse. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. If you do not know the Father, if you do not have a relationship with the Father, then you do not know the voice of the Father, and you cannot do the works of the Father. John 5, 19, Jesus said, The Son can do nothing of Himself. But what he seeth the Father do, what these things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. The Son can do nothing of himself. Does that describe you and your understanding of your abilities? When I am trying to live for God, when I am trying to live for God, trying to work for God, it proves I don't know the Father. When I'm trying to perform my Pentecostal rituals and, and participate in my Pentecostal liturgy, it proves I don't know the Father. Because when the Son of God confessed His knowledge of the Father, His knowledge of the Father caused the Son to rely upon Himself in no way. The knowledge of the Father takes all self-sufficiency out of us. When you know the Father, when you have a relationship with the Father, when you walk with the Father, you, you leave Pentecostal performance behind. I too appreciate the time I've had a chance to spend with Brother Foster over this past year. And I know, I, I think I know some things about him that I really, did or really didn't know about it from a distance. There's a deep, deep, deep desire for a move of God. 
And like every pastor, as you get older, you learn there are some things you have to do that you don't really want to be doing, but you can't not do it yet. Because people are not spiritual and they're not mature enough to move to the next level yet. The problem is, sometimes, forgive me, I'm about to meddle, okay? Sometimes, he's just a, a spectacle to you. He's just a... You just come to see what strange thing he's going to do next service. And everybody has their bear tails about his antics and his approaches and all of that. Which proves you really don't understand him at all, do you? Do you? Because honestly... The more you really, really want a move of God, the less you want all of this. They are not, they don't, they are mutually exclusive. I'm not prepared to define this, this right now. I don't want to get off my subject. They are mutually exclusive. What kind of revival do we want? One that fits conveniently in our schedules? Or do we want Azusa Street? Where for three years they had no life other than church. Seven days a week. Three years. Do we just want to feel good? See, that's the problem. It, to me, forgive me being overly simplistic here, but I really believe it's the, the problem is a lack of relationship with the Father. This is all His idea. I don't mean all this. We have a church. We're trying to build a building. You know, that's as close as we're ever going to get to culturally relevant. If I know the Father, Thomas said, it's enough. That'll be the source of my strength. That's the source of my defense. That's the source of my contentment. If I know the Father, I don't really need anything else. Does that really define you? Huh. Praise God. Let's go a little farther here. Matthew eleven twenty seven says it this way. All things are delivered. Jesus said, all things are delivered unto me of my Father. 
And no man knows the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Listen to the Amplified. All things have been entrusted and delivered to me by my Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Son except the Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son deliberately wills to make him known. Now I am not attempting in my next comments to make us equal to the son of God. However, he is the firstborn among many brethren and he is not ashamed to call me brother. And if I suffer with him, I will reign and rule with him and I am a joint heir with Christ. I am an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. I've got a question. Is it possible the reason the world does not know who God is is because there are not enough sons that know the Father to be able to reveal Him to the world? Because the only way the world knew the Father was through the Son. And we are sons of God supposed to be. If we were truly sons of God and truly knew the Father, how much more would the world know about the Father? I'm not called to be a good Pentecostal. I'm not even Pentecostal. I don't want to be Pentecostal. I have no use for Pentecostal. I am not a follower of Pentecostal doctrines, nor of Pentecostal fellowship. I'm a follower of the Apostles' doctrine and the Apostles' fellowship, and they are not the same thing. They are not the same thing. We got a new generation that wants to be culturally relevant. Because they, they're against tradition. Like they got a corner on the market of being against Pentecostal tradition. I've lived and breathed anti-Pentecostal tradition as long as I've been breathing and living. There is no good tradition. You know what tradition does? Jesus said tradition makes the word of God of none effect and makes your worship vain. There is no such thing as good tradition. Of course, our problem is we have a better name for it because you can't find this one in the Bible. We just call it heritage. I don't know about you, but I got one heritage. This is my heritage. I have no other heritage. This is the only heritage I have. It's the only heritage I want. Now you're disrespecting us. No, 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 no. I spent the first Sunday of my life on a United Pentecostal Church seat. 
to the best of our knowledge, the first, first apostolic church in all of Northwest Florida, possibly all the state of Florida, was started my grandmother, my maternal grandmother's living room. My wife's grandfather was one of the first people to baptize anybody in the name of Jesus in the state of Mississippi. I do not disrespect that. I appreciate that. But the apostles were the apostles because they refused to follow the religious tradition of the people that were the people of the truth of that day. They wanted the word and nothing but the word. I want the Father. I want to be a son of the Father. I don't want to be a son of the Pentecostal movement. I want to know the Father. I want to have a relationship with the Father. I want to do that which pleases the Father. The Father. I want to know the Father. I want people, I want to reach the place that when people know me, they know the Father. That when they see my life, they see the Father manifested. That when they hear me speak, they hear the Father speak. When they see how I conduct myself, and respond to people that treat me well or don't treat me well. They see the Father in action. I want to reveal the Father to this world as a son of God. Because knowing the Father is enough. It's enough. Praise God. Let me, t- let, me, let me talk to you about the Father a little bit. Oh, let me talk to you about the Father. I preached this morning, or taught this morning, I call God Father. And most of us Pentecostals, we can't do that because we're not comfortable with it. And we think it's because it sounds Trinitarian. And I made the statement earlier today that if calling God Father is Trinitarian, then Jesus was a Trinitarian. Because he called, personally called God, referred to God as his father 190 times in the four gospels. 190 times. All other times he referred to God by any other appellation other than father is only all of the others. Appalachians combined, all the other occasions combined, is only a small percentage of that 190. When he personally addressed the deity, the one God, he called him Father. That's who he called him, Father. That's not his name, of course. We know the Father's name because we know the Son's name. But the problem is, when you say Jesus, who are you talking about? I've been weird a long time. You know what? Because when I use the name Jesus, I do not picture in my mind a man. I have always addressed the Father with Jesus. Now, I haven't always been comfortable calling him Father, but I've always 
in my own mind and heart, understood that when I said the name Jesus, I was talking about God. Not the man that walked the face of this earth 33 years. And that's his name. But you know, my sons don't call me Chester. Does your son call you Tom? Does your son call you Greg? Is that because they don't know your name? My. I am a son of God. I know my father's name. But if I'm going to address my father, it's not going to be by his name. It's going to be by a title of respect that reveals my relationship with him. My God. Now, I know this is a little different than you're used to, and I understand that. But there's, I started to say there's something in this house. There's not something in this house. The Father is in this place because you're His children and He is desperate for you to know Him as your Father. What about this Father of ours? Here's one of my favorite Father Scriptures. Put it on the screen if you would, James 1.17. Now this, this, this describes my Father. Every good... And every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. This terminology, variableness and shadow of turning, it refers, it refers to the phases of the moon. It, refa- it, 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 uh, it, it refers to the sun going down and coming up. It's two different things. But, but both of those things change, you see. And he's saying, if you consider the moon and its phases to be accurate, and, and if they are, the moon changes its phases exactly every 30 days. Every 30 days. There's no variation to it. Every 30 days. Our calendar is set up as a solar calendar. The Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. And it's every 30 days. All of their months are 30 days long. And they're all based on the lunar calendar. But you can count on the moon. It goes through its phases and has for thousands of years exactly like it always has. No variation. And the sun, the shadow of turning is talking about the moon. The variable, this is the going up and coming up and going down of the sun. There are night times in my life because the sun isn't always shining. But there's somebody that's more dependable than the sun who disappears from my life for a part of my day every day. There's someone more dependable even than the moon that's constantly waning and waxing and waning and waxing, going full and small. There's somebody more dependable. That is my Father. My Father. He is the giver of every good gift. He is the giver of every perfect gift. He will withhold no good thing from them that love Him. (laughs) 
every good gift. Now the problem we have with our father is this. His definition of good and ours is usually different. Like the guy that was praying over whether he was supposed to marry Susie or Jane. So, oh God, am I supposed to marry Susie or Jane? And please let it be Susie. <laughs> every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father. And He withholds no good thing. You know something? If you don't really have a personal relationship with faith in those statements, you're always in a place of murmuring and complaining when things aren't going your way. Oh my God. I, I got to go on. Here's the Father, Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That's what a father does for a son. A father has plans for a son. The, a father has, ha, wants that son to become everything he possibly can be. The, fa no, the father never has bad plans for a child of his. No, 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 no. No, the father never has bad things planned for a child of his. But you don't know that if you don't know the father. You don't know that if you don't know the father. Second uh -uh. Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be not... Unequally, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And what a beautiful promise that is, but he didn't stop there. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. This relevant generation thinks that they've got a corner on wanting to modernize our standards. That's not new at all. I'm 62 years old and there's always been somebody wanting to get rid of all that stuff. But even the slightest, shallowest research into the original languages, and of course the King James is not the Bible Peter used. The Bible is only divinely inspired in the Greek and the Hebrew. There is no divinely inspired translation. And so, today, you don't have to be a Greek scholar. You can get free software downloaded off the internet that lets you look up do the most basic word studies. And you know what that word separate means? Come out from among them, be you separate. It means to set apart by boundaries. Yes, sir. Yes, it does. All right. 
You know why you're kicking against the pricks? You know why you're kicking against the boundaries? Because you don't know the Father. But I will say this to you. The focus of all of this is not the boundaries. It's having a father. I'm not dotting your I's and crossing your T's so you won't call me a liberal. I am living separated because I is my father and I am his child. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, help us, help us. Listen to this now. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The word receive means to welcome in approval. And I will be your father. And you will be my children. And, and of course, you know, we, we, we take all the, the, the chapter divisions and the, and the scripture, the verse divisions, and we think that was all the original language too. And it wasn't. Because the next verse, which is actually in a different chapter, is connected with this. And it starts with the conjunction wherefore. And wherefore means, what I'm about to say is based on what I just said. Wherefore, wherefore, or having therefore, excuse me, these promises, dearly beloved, let us, let us, let us, let us, who? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh that's where a lot of folks want to stop these days that's all they want to preach about is getting the outside all cleaned up I'm for that let me tell you something I don't care how clean your outside is if your spirit is filthy you're not holy let us let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now I'm going to get off the subject. You know, you took your time, I'm taking mine. This is not the subject. I just want to throw this out here for a minute, okay? Etymologically, meaning the word study or the root words and all that. In the Greek, righteousness and justification come from the same family of words. And likewise, the, most of the words translated holy, holiness, is in the same family of words as sanctify, sanctification. You know, when I was younger and said this kind of stuff, I got branded and, bland, and banned and all kind of stuff. 
I'm 62. Ban me all you want. I get to stay home with my wife and grandkids. Do me a favor. But in my experience in 62 years of the United Pentecostal Church, we make holiness an event and righteousness a process. That concept is so absolutely contrary to Scripture, it is ridiculous. Righteousness can only be received as a gift, Romans 5.19. Righteousness is a gift. Justification is the process. Righteousness is the product. The word righteous has a root word, root concept of innocence. You can't be made innocent by doing anything right. If you're guilty in one point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. So you can't go from guilty to innocent by all you do. If you're going to be righteous with God, you're going to receive it as a gift or you don't have righteousness. But now, in our movement, sanctification's event. Sanctification, of course, is the process. Holiness is the product, the condition. And it's an event. You get baptized, or you get the Holy Ghost, you some, someplace you can't even get baptized until you're holy. And it's all, boom, right there. Boom. Slight problem. Put that back up there for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. There's a problem with this verse. There's no point in time where I can ever say, I'm holy. Because holiness is something I must work on every day. It's some place I'm trying to get to. And every one of us is on a different place in that journey. And there's no point in time that I can declare myself holy. I can confess I'm righteous. Because righteousness is an accomplished fact by faith. It's given to me. But not holiness. No. The word perfecting there. If, I think the word is infinitive. Isn't that right? Um, it means a continuous process. The ing. It's not accomplished. It's progressive. Continually progressive. It doesn't matter what how holy I was yesterday. If I leave some filthiness in my flesh or my spirit today, I'm no longer holy. I got to do the process again. There is not ever a point in time you can, you, can, you can live up to all the standards you want and I preach standards and believe standards because they're the boundaries. They're the fences. Well, who sets them? I don't know. The Lord told Moses, tell the people don't touch the mountain or they're going to die. You tell me how they knew where the mountain stopped, started and where it stopped. Moses had to determine where the boundary was. But what if we all set different boundaries? I think it's covered under whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Wherever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Wherever you're going, that preacher sets the boundaries. I don't care what the guy across town preaches. 
And you know something? It doesn't matter if you like them, agree with them. Whatever this pulpit says is where the mountain starts. It's where the mountain starts. That's right. That's where the mountain starts. Well, that sounds so arbitrary. Yes, in one sense it may be. Because the second most sacred relationship in the Bible, second only to our relationship with God, is the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And anybody, anybody that messes with that relationship is in trouble with God. You say, but what about a husband-wife relationship? I vowed to love and she vowed to, uh, and cherish and she vowed to reverence and obey. I never one time vowed or was given the privilege to give an account before God for her salvation. But Hebrews 13, 17 says that whoever God has chosen to preach to you the word of God is the one that's going to give an account for your soul. Don't mess with that relationship. Don't mess with that. Don't, don't let some saint from some other church, don't let some preacher friend of yours come and tell you, say, well, you know what, you don't, re- why don't you come over here? You don't really have to do that. Unless God releases you from what's been bound and what's been loosed, Unless God releases you and you go seeking someplace else that fits your fleshly desires. Doesn't work. Oh, I get back to the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I I love this. Psalm 68.3. Listen to this. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Yah. And rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless. And a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. I have done my best to verify the legitimacy of these statistics and I've learned that there are statistics but every source they're a little bit different so you understand that to the best of my ability I'm presenting to you statistics that I've done my best to verify and am reasonably confident they're in the ballpark. The following are results according to the Census Bureau of a fatherless home. Let me say before I read these, I respect and deeply appreciate the single mothers who have done their very best to raise their children. But God created us male and female. And both those roles are necessary. 
and mothers don't make good fathers, and fathers don't make good mothers. According to the statistics I've seen, 63% of youth suicides occur to individuals raised in fatherless homes. 90% of homeless and runaway children were raised in fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems, that's almost an oxymoron because rapists are rapists because they have anger problems, were raised in fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts were raised in fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers were raised in fatherless homes. 70% of all youth in jails and prisons were raised in fatherless homes. We didn't get here without a mother. But a mother's role is as a nurturer. And you can survive your first 10 to 12 years without a father because the dominant role in a child's life up till puberty is the mother, the nurturer. Father's role is secondary. Mother's role is primary in prepubescent children, nurturer. But when puberty occurs, the roles are supposed to, to change in priority. The mother must decrease and the father must increase. The father and his fathership, fatherhood, has to become the dominant role and the mother must let go of her nurturing role. It doesn't mean she stops being the mother but she has to allow the father to be a father. Now, when there isn't a father available to take on that role that God designed once a child reaches puberty, all kind of chaos takes place in life. Chaos in the thinking Chaos in the spirit, chaos in the priorities, chaos. No amount of nurturing can help a child through that chaos. It takes the strong hand, loving hand of a father to direct a child from puberty into adulthood. The mother's role is so critical because she is the nurturer. But the blessing the generational blessing promised by God comes only through the Father. Unto the third and fourth generation, unto them that love me. But here's the beauty of what we're doing. Our Father is the Father of the fatherless. Our Father is the Father of the fatherless and he putteth the solitary in families you know what it's an amazing thing he said you know 
He said to this one crowd on his right hand, he said, come into the joys of the Lord because I was, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison you came and visited me. All of those things are very, very normal. But there's one that doesn't really fit with that group. He said, I was a stranger and you took me in. But he said to that group on the left side, I was hungry, you didn't feed me thirsty, you didn't give me drink, you didn't put clothes on me when I was naked, you didn't come visit me when I was sick in prison, and I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. Let me tell you something. One of the purest, clearest manifestations of the Father is he doesn't want anybody isolated and alone. He wants everybody to belong. He's created every one of us with our idiosyncrasies and different characters and strengths and weaknesses to fit the perfect place in the body that nobody else can fit because it's his perfect plan. That's how much the Father intended. But this is the beauty, the beauty. It's such a beautiful thing. That it doesn't matter what your background is, where you've come from. It doesn't matter if you had a dad, a good dad, a bad dad, no dad, didn't know your dad, forsaken by your dad. He died when you were young or whatever, whatever, whatever. When you come to God, he fully intends to replace with himself everything that you've lacked in your life from a father. Everything. At the Naval Academy, we were required to, no, that, that's the wrong story. We were playing softball, and I know some of you don't believe in that. Our church was, we got together and was playing some softball, and I was on second base, and it was the bottom of the seventh, and we were down by two runs, and, and uh, there was a guy on first also, and the guy was up to bat, and it was, there was only one out, and so I, I no, we were down by one run, and if I scored, we tied it, and the guy on first, if he would we'd win and the guy up the bat hit a ball right to the shortstop and I, of course I had to stay on the bag till contact with the bat and, and, and I, I thought to myself instantly I'm going to I'm going to jump over this ball and block the vision of the shortstop and then he'll miss the ball I can score the other guy may get to third at least slight problem at the last second the ball took a weird hop. If it had hit me, I'd have been out. Catastrophe. So I had to take an unexpected extra high jump at the last second, and I came down wrong on this heel, and the, and the muscle that comes up and joins itself, and you're growing it with a pelvic, I completely tore it loose. Well, <clears throat> you would understand this. I made it to third base. You, you, you understand all that stuff, don't you, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it, I didn't fall on the ground right there. I made it to third base. The problem was the leg wasn't working and I couldn't stop when I got to the bag. So I went past the bag out in foul territory. And I'm reaching for the bag. I'm dying. My leg is just destroyed, but I'm reaching for that bag because I'm not going to be out. And the guy tagged me. 
And the umpire called me out. I'm thinking, how can you call me out? I'm dying. They carried me off the field, put me in the van, took me to the emergency room. They couldn't do anything with it, wrapped it up, sent me to an orthopedic surgeon. He did x-rays. He showed me on the x-rays where the, the tendon stopped and there was a gap between the tendon and the pelvis. The pelvis. And uh, he said, well, it's torn. I said, Tell me something I don't know. I said, what are you going to do? You're going to do surgery or what? What are you going to do? He said, oh, we don't, we don't have to do surgery on this. I said, you don't? He said, no, no. What happens? He said, oh, about six weeks it reattaches itself. It'll be fine. I said to him, he knew I was a preacher. I said to him, doctor, how does it reattach itself? I mean, you got muscle and, and, and all that stuff is spasmed anyway. And that gap's there. How does it reattach itself? He looked at me and says, you're the preacher. You ought to be telling us that. I said, what do you mean? He pointed at that gap. He said, you see this gap? Blood fills that gap. And over about a six-week period of time, that blood turns into tendon and reattaches the muscle to the bone. He said that your blood becomes whatever kind of tissue it needs to become to heal your body. I said, how does that happen? We don't know how it happens. We just know it does. I've got a further elaboration on that for you. Whatever the wounds and the holes and the missing pieces of your life, whatever they are, the spirit and the blood of your Father fills those empty places and takes you from wounded to whole. Takes you from damaged. He makes it just as if you'd never experienced those things. The Father does that. That's what the Father does. That's what the Father does. Thomas said, Show us the Father. And it'll be enough. Show us the Father. And it'll be enough. Do you know the Father? Listen to this. Oh, this is Psalms 103, verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit. I, I, I don't, I'm afraid to look at my watch, so please forgive me. Listen to this. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. 
who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according According to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed his, our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And this next verse, listen to this. For he knoweth our father. Knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Some of you think that, some of you have the, the one talent guy's attitude about God. I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were expecting things out of me that you didn't put anything there. I knew you were hard. So out of fear, I protected this thing because I knew if I lost it, I'd be in trouble with you because you're a hard man. And the Lord said to him in one of the Gospels, he said, out of your mouth, you're going to be judged. In other words, if that's your opinion of me, I'm going to judge you according to your opinion of me. Hello, I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with you. In my years in Pentecost, the father that's been preached to me many, many, many times doesn't resemble this one at all. He doesn't resemble him at all. He doesn't resemble him at all. It's truth, truth. Yes, truth is truth. It's sin, sin. Yes, sin is sin. But he's not waiting for an opportunity to destroy you. He's done everything he can to try to save you. And he's not going to give up on you till you absolutely won't let him continue to work. Why? Because if I only know him as God, gods are rule makers. If I only know him as Lord, that's a supreme being with authority to crush my life. But that's not, that's not the, the relationship he wants me to have with him. Yes, I know he's God. Yes, I know he is Lord of all. But oh, my friend, he wants to be my father he wants me to be his son yeah 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 and before you think I'm preaching this deceptive blindness called saved by grace no works and all that stuff you have to come back tomorrow because I'm going to preach what true grace is and what it isn't. Because grace and peace come from the Father. Let me tell you something. One of the truest indicators of spiritual blindness is not knowing what grace is. 
to think that grace is a license to sin that covers everything it proves you don't even have a clue what grace is. The father, like as a father pities his children. You know, when you're a kid and parents say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. You go, yeah, sure. Till you're the parent. And it hurts you more than it hurts them. It hurts you more than it hurts them. But do you know why every person needs a father? Because it's the upbringing of a godly father that teaches a child how to obey God by teaching them as a child how to obey their father. Just like a husband and wife is intended to be their marriage is intended to be an, a natural illustration of the relationship between Christ and the church. The relationship between a godly father and his children is supposed to, is intended to be, to teach us the relationship between our heavenly father and us. Father. Father. Give me just another couple of minutes and I'll be done here. Let me get back to some of this stuff here that Listen to this. Let me, let's do this one. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Let me read a little bit. I don't have this printed out. Listen to this carefully, please. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of the Son of God, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, but to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Listen, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Father, Father. In the Greek, the first word is Hebrew in the Greek text. And so it is transliterated from the Hebrew. The word Abba is the Hebrew word for father. They translated the Greek word for father, transliterated the Hebrew word for father. Why? Because it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. When you receive the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost in you is supposed to cause you to cry, Father, Father, Father. Father, Father, every time I talk in tongues, the Spirit in me is crying, Father, 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 Father. Let's look at this next verse just a minute. 
Please, let's go to the next one. But for ye have received, the Spirit itself beareth witness with, not to. Not to our spirit, but with our spirit. That we are the children of God. Listen now. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. Because until the sons of God are manifested, the Father can't be revealed through the sons. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who had subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Listen now. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Because when man sinned, when the first the second, the, the, the first man, Adam, sinned. The first son of God sinned. That sin didn't just affect two people. It affected all creation. But hear me. Thirty years, the son of God walked the face of this earth and very few people had a clue who he was. Because during that period of time, though he were a son, the father was teaching him. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience to the things which he suffered. But there came a day when he closed the door on that carpenter shop, put the lock on it, walked out to the river, and nothing was ever the same again. That is not equivalent to the rapture of the church. That is equivalent to a day that is coming before the rapture of the church where the sons of God are going to be just as truly revealed as the first son of God was. Why? So the world can know who the father is. So the world can know who the father is. Now, I'm, let me skip a bunch of stuff here. Let me... I tell you what, put, put up for me Matthew 11. That's a bunch of good stuff here, but it's not time. Matthew 11, verse 25. Listen to this now. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. No man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Now we see the context of this, these three verses. The context of these three verses. The Son is revealing the Father. Here's the revelation of the Father. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This is the Father. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. This is the Father. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the Father. 
at the risk of offending some folks. I had forwarded an email to me containing a video off of GodTube. Some of you have seen it. But when I watched it, I wept. I don't want to offend anybody's sensibilities. The people in this video are not Christians, to my knowledge. But it's the story of a father and a son. It's a true story. The son asked his father, Dad, will you take part in a marathon with me? The father, who despite having a heart condition, said, Yes. They went on to compete the marathon together. Father and son went on to join other marathons. The father always saying yes to his son, his son's request of going through the race together. One day the son asked his father, Dad, let's join the Iron Man together. To which the father said yes too. For those who don't know, the Iron Man is the toughest triath triathlon ever. The race encompasses three endurance events participated in one immediately after the other. A 2.4 mile swim, ocean swim, followed by a 112 mile bike ride, ending with a 26.2 mile marathon run along the coast of the Big Island in Hawaii. Father and son completed this race, and I looked online today for a little more information, and they've actually competed and finished five of these Ironman events, and they've participated in over 40 marathons. I saw this, and I thought to myself, if I've ever watched something that could communicate the relationship with our father and us as his son. This is it. Thank you. Who taught the son where to stand in the morning? And who taught the ocean you can only come this far? And who showed the
If ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask him? Some of y'all need to come talk to your father right now. Come on. Come on. You need to come talk to your father right now. Come on. Come on. You have met your father tonight. You've met your father. You've met your father. He wants to be this kind of a father to you. If I make it to heaven, Brother Shatwell, that's just the way I'm going to make it. I'm not going to make it on my own. I'm not going to make it through my own efforts. But it's going to be through the efforts of my father. It's going to be through the strength of my father. It's going to be through the help of my father. If I make it to heaven, I will have to cast my crown at his feet. Because the only way I got there is because of my father. Come on. Come meet your father tonight. Come meet your father tonight. Meet your father tonight. Meet your father tonight. Meet your father tonight.